Now let's go back to the time of his birth. The time of the birth of John the Baptist. When it was announced, and we see his parents, and we listen to that prayer, Luke chapter 1, and we pick it up with verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the course of Abiah, and his wife was the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. Now let me just note there in verse 6, in passing, if I may just let it rest with you, there is a tender thought that sometimes gets misunderstood among folks. And the inability to have children is not a sign of some spiritual failure, nor is it the curse of God upon a woman. This was a godly couple in every way. You see it there as it concludes in verse 7. I just want to give you that tender thought. I don't know if it would apply to anyone, but in other folks that you may know and meet, in no way is this person second class. And these priestly duties that are mentioned of that of Aaron, Matthew Henry said no families of the world were ever so honored as that of Aaron and David. The priesthood referenced here came by way of the family of Aaron and is concluded in the life of John the Baptist. And the royal family, the royal blessings came by way of David, whose lineage is concluded in the life of who? Jesus the Christ. Well, Zacharias well knew the prophecy, but was well past hoping that he might have this child that would point the way to Jesus, which then reveals the significance of the circumstance of this prayer. Verse 7, no child, and they're really, really old, but I'm not going to ask her age because that would be rude. Think of the stature, though, of biblical characters who have been born to mothers that had long been since childless, well past bearing years. Isaac, we looked at his life. Jacob, Joseph, Samson, Samuel, and now we have John the Baptist. The circumstance of Elizabeth's age makes the occasion of this prayer all the more remarkable and the blessing in answer to this prayer all the more impressive. But perhaps the greatest reason for this circumstance is to show that none other than God is at work. God who will keep His promise. God who will answer our prayers. God who will bring about what no man can do. At the same time, I can't help but assume that Zacharias and Elizabeth had long ago given up any hope theirself of having children. 
So why continue this prayer? They had no reason to think that in them would be fulfilled that which was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. It's here in Matthew 3. It's referenced in Isaiah 40. Other than having the proper lineage, being of Aaron, they had no reason to believe that this prophecy of John the Baptist would now be fulfilled in them. So why continue praying? Zacharias was simply fulfilling his religious duty, his obligation to pray for the preparation of the coming of Messiah. And that shows to us the custom of prayer. What is your custom of prayer? You see it in verse 8. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course. So this was just in the regular duties of being a priest. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord, not the holy of holies, but the holy place and the temple there. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the time of this incense. And so this was not the annual atoning when the high priest would go into the holy of holies. It is simply the daily representation of the people and their needs before God in the holy place which was adjacent, if you remember any study of, of the tabernacle, which was adjacent to and divided from the Holy of Holies by a thick, multi-layered cloth. You remember, by the way, this curtain was the one ripped in twain at the crucifixion of Christ. It was finished, and we now have free and full access into the throne room of God by the name of Jesus Christ. But that's for another day. This was perhaps the Sabbath day. Verse 10 says, they, all the people had gathered together. So maybe this was the end of their week. Our, our gathering is on the first day of the week, Sunday. The first day of the week. Now we've come to think of it as the last day of the weekend. It's still the first day of the week though, when Christ rose from the grave. This was probably Saturday. All the people had gathered on the last day, this Saturday, for the Sabbath, and this week-long service of the temple. Nothing to this point had been out of the ordinary. Zacharias had repeated this activity many times before, and this Sabbath began as any other Sabbath had begun before. It was perhaps the normalcy of this occasion that took everyone off guard. And it should be the normal custom of our everyday activity, as it says in Psalm 141 and many other places, that we would pray before the Lord, that we would lift up our hands also in the evening sacrifice. When you consider the custom of your prayer, my prayer, our time that we spend, have you given up on some prayer? Maybe there's something you prayed for long ago and you have long since given up on that prayer. May I just say, if you begin to give up on prayer, you've really given up on who? On God, on Jesus, that's right. Remember, the routine of our prayer is an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing unto God. That thing you have prayed for that maybe you've left off praying for, it will be answered, maybe not even in your lifetime. There is an answer, and God is working in ways that you may know nothing about. Don't leave off prayer. Our prayers do not fall on deaf ears. And this is the confidence 1 John 5, that we have in Him.
that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that if He hears us, then whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. We know that God has heard us. We know that God is working to answer. Don't give up on prayer, or you're giving up on God. Well, this confidence in His prayer, we see the promise that comes. Pick it up in verse 11. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now imagine being in the holy place. And out from behind this thick curtain, in a sense, that's what it seems like, comes an angel. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer has been heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. Now that's disturbing. And thou shalt call his name, <clears throat> excuse me, John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Remember, he's pointing the way. And shall go before him in the spirit and the power of, El of Elias, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the coming of the Lord. Well, this otherwise normal occasion turns in a rather unexpected way. This angel enters into this place where he has been praying, appears to speak directly to Zacharias, never before... And never since has an angel appeared to speak directly to a human being. So this was out of the ordinary in every way. He is troubled, unsettled of this otherwise usual day. And I think God often has to trouble us. God often has to stir us up. Break in on what might be an otherwise routine day in order to get our attention and understand what he's trying to do in the circumstance of our life and bring about an answer. If Elizabeth had just woken up with some morning sickness and went to the doctor, that would be quite a surprise to find out she was expecting, don't you think? But who would have thought, well, this must be a special message from God breaking 400 years of silence and God is now breaking his silence to speak to us. No one would have necessarily thought that. Zacharias was definitely shook up and the long-awaited promise of God was about to unfold and that we see the purpose of Judah is being renewed after all this silence. The Ark of the Covenant of God's presence long since gone. None of this present generation would know, would likely know the voice of God if he did speak. For these reasons, perhaps others, the angel of God is, appears to speak directly to Zacharias to renew the purpose of Judah in now preparing the way for the long-awaited Messiah. But notice what the angel says there in verse 13. I kind of stumble over that a little bit, just making sure I understand it, that the prayer has been heard. Well, what prayer? What prayer is Zacharias offering? I don't think it was a reference to the priestly prayers, 
Because the very next phrase is, your prayer has been heard, and your wife is going to have a baby. Is he still praying for a baby? At whatever age he is, and whatever age his wife is? I doubt that's the case. But the prayer of Zacharias is clearly not selfish. Not at his age. If you don't have a child, you pray for what? If you're sick, you tend to pray for what? If you're dying, if you're without a job, if you have a diagnosis, what do we tend to pray for? The opposite of that, right? We want the answer. We want the, we want the fulfilling. We want the healing. We want the answer to some circumstance of our life. But it tends to get selfish at that point. Just use this illustration to see what I'm saying. So this child is the one who would turn the world's attention toward Christ. This child would be a special child of joy and gladness to Zacharias and Elizabeth. But he was no ordinary child. He would take the Nazarite vow of total separation from the creature comforts, and we know that he ate locusts and you know, wore these weird clothes and lived in the wilderness. But he would be filled with the Holy Ghost, operate in the power of Elias or Elijah, the one we call the Tershbite, Elijah the Tershbite, the converter, who back in his day, Elijah the Tershbite, he clashed with the religious status quo of his day, and he ushered in the time of the prophets. Now we have John the Baptist, the last prophets who's going to clash directly with the status quo religion of his day. And he's going to usher in a whole new era of grace by the name of Jesus Christ. Remember the priestly duties of Judah, fulfilled in John the Baptist, were being used in preparation for the royal duties of David, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said of John, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. But this time of prayer is followed by a promise from this angel that totally took Zacharias off guard. He expressed some doubt, and so this problem of verse 18 in the weakness I wanted to give you, by the way, I think I kind of skipped over. I wanted to give you that thought about a child being born into a family. Was he still praying for that child? Here's what I wanted to give you. Imagine the difference it would make if parents, rather than praying that we might have a child, if prayer, parents were praying that God would raise up missionaries to tell people about Jesus, that God would raise up pastors to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God might raise up godly teachers to instruct our children in the ways of the Lord. And you could go on with the list. And then, as an answer to that prayer, find out that we're having a baby. And our child might be an answer to that prayer. Rather than just focusing on, I don't have a child, I want a baby. To find out that my child could be an answer to the prayers I'm praying on behalf of the world at large. 
just to help us stay away from becoming so self-centered in our prayers. First ask ourselves, how might this circumstance fit into some plan of God? Have you ever had a conversation with a doctor that you wouldn't have otherwise had if you didn't have that diagnosis? You ever had a conversation with a teacher? You ever had a conversation with a co-worker? And it's because of the circumstance of your life that you had that opportunity. So before you pray for deliverance from, see if there's something God's trying to do through the circumstance. Back to the problem. Verse 18. Verse 18. And Zacharias said unto the angel, how am I going to know this? Because I'm an old man. And my wife, forgive me, she's pretty old too. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of God. And I'm sent to speak unto you to show these, these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because you believe not my words, which shall be fulfilled. Don't you think he's trying to take back what he said all of a sudden? And the people waited for Zacharias, and they marveled. This is worship, that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. Why is that? Because all the blood had drained out of his face. He beckoned unto them and remained speechless. He like, give me a tablet so I something I can write on. And he came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, The Lord hath dealt with me in the days wherein he has looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Notice the weakness or the doubt that's revealed. They've been praying to set in motion the coming of Christ. And now as he perceives or receives the promise, Zacharias expresses some reservation. But my friends, the word of the Lord is no less sure because you believe it or not. When it is spoken, it is true. Listen to what God said to Moses. If you remember when Moses doubted what God said, God said to Moses, you, you ever have your children ask you a question and you give a response? And then they ask you again, right? And I say something, you know, parental like it's been asked and answered. I don't want to hear any more about it. Well, I'm on good grounds because that's exactly what God said to Moses. And when he prayed again, asking for this, for this opportunity to enter the, the promised land, but the Lord was angry, and he said unto Moses, Let it suffice thee, speak no more unto me of this matter. God has answered. There, there's no debate about this. Like, if Zacharias could have respoken at that moment, I'm sure he would have said, Wait, 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 I, you know, I wasn't really doubting. I just wanted to know what's the confirmation of it. Maybe would have reworded it. I'm just kidding. Compare this then with Abraham who went home rejoicing. Remember when he had a similar promise. He was 99 years old. He had a similar promise. And he went home and with great belief, strong in faith, giving God the glory, being fully persuaded that God had promised a child. Remember at age 99. He was able also to perform that. Wherefore it says, that was imputed unto him for righteousness. His belief in the spoken word of God, was imputed unto him for righteousness. When we pray, 
we must not only prepare our heart in order to speak to God, we have to prepare our heart in order to hear from God. That may be the more difficult. I know I've sinned. I know my mistakes. I know my transgressions. I know the things I need to confess before the Lord. But is my heart really prepared when God would speak and say, I want to answer this prayer and I want to answer it through you? Are you ready for the diagnosis? Are you ready for that difficult conversation? Are you ready for the circumstance? Are you ready for that next thing that's going to happen? It's going to, it's going to be disturbing, perhaps. But when it happens, are you ready to say, is this God working in my life? Of course it is. How can I be a testimony in this circumstance to my kids, my friends, my neighbors, like your sister-in-law, Carol? How can I continue to be a, a testimony in light of the circumstance that I'm facing? I remember a, a, a circumstance, it wasn't a bad one, it turned out to be a terrific one, but uh, we were praying for, uh, for a child, and this, this is after three, and uh, it was in reference to adoption. Remember we were praying for uh, a little girl, do you remember that? Praying for a little girl? She came in one night, and she said, God had answered our prayer. And I said, his name was Brandon. I said, I thought it was going to be a girl. We had a little exchange, right? And we were willing to take Brandon into our home. A lot of other things, probably around 9-11, you know, and there was a lot of other things were going on in the world, and we lost the opportunity to have Brandon. But as a result of our willingness to embrace that, prepared to receive that, God brought into our life Alyssa that we just dropped off at college. <laughs> and after that, Lena. Are you ready to hear from God? Because the thing you might hear may not be what you wanted. And if you just turn away from it, you may not receive the thing God wants to do in your life. We have to operate our life with complete confidence in God or we will more often than not miss out on the opportunities He brings our way. Well, it is in these opportunities to hear God speak. It creates also a time of worship among these obedient people. Verse 21, the people marveled. They were amazed. That's what worship is about. This otherwise normal, it took about 30 minutes to do what Zacharias would typically do. And this prayer that was transformed as God now breaks the silence of 400 years. I don't know if you've been praying for something that uh, you, you thought God has been silent on. Praying for our church. Praying for an unsaved loved one. Praying for healing. Praying for a circumstance that you've been facing for how many years now? I would just say to you, expect the unexpected. Because if you're still leaning on the fence post of your own understanding, you will likely miss the work of God. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, whatever you're going through, in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Proverbs 3.
Anything less would assume too much clever ability on our own part. Verse 22, it says, They perceived that he had seen a vision. How did they perceive that he had had a vision? He remained speechless. It's rather ironic, I think. When God breaks his silence, now remember this is 400 years, there's been no conversation from God to his people about the coming of Messiah. And they've been praying in the routine of their life. And maybe many had left off. But now something different has happened. I find it ironic that when God breaks his silence and speaks, the one to whom he speaks is left speechless. Right? When something occurs for which words fail to explain, worship is the result. When you can't explain it, ask yourself if maybe God is at work. Like the time we studied in Daniel, like the time in Daniel, in chapter 10, in fact, that we were in this morning, when Daniel was left alone and he saw the great vision, and as a result of the great vision he saw, there remained no strength in him. Zacharias looked like all the strength had just been sucked out of his body. How you might imagine someone coming out of a, you know, a dimly lit room, this, this holy place, just candles for lights. And he comes out of this dimly lit room having just seen this angel of the Lord and he stumbles out into the bright sunlight. They knew something had been different. Something had changed. Isn't that the way it is in our spiritual life? Do you remember when you first accepted the Lord? Something's different now, right? Something is changed. Your speech, your habits, your attitude, something's different about you because you've been with the Lord. He looked like a ghost, I suppose, or maybe like he had seen a ghost, couldn't explain himself, and as the moment sinks in, the people worship and nothing more needs to be said. Zacharias then remains speechless until he confirms the name of his son as that of John the Baptist, and he speaks. And later when we read John's declaration, it is perhaps the most direct description of prayer that I can find in the Bible. Because prayer is little more than what John is described. A cry in the wilderness. That's prayer. If you can answer it, then answer it. If you can do something about it, do something. But when you're stuck on a blank page, and you don't have an answer, and you don't have any reason for hope, and you don't know how it's going to work out, a cry in the wilderness. That's John's prayer, John the Baptist. That's the prayer we can continue even today. When we don't know what God may be doing, we don't know what end times may bring, we don't know what circumstance we may face, but we cry out in the wilderness for God to work. Prayer gives hope for the weary, strength for the faint from this first New Testament prayer and the birth of this child. We are pointed, right? We are pointed to the message of John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29, 
where he quotes John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. 